Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. That is, the disciples being sent out. He had heard about it. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Which, first of all, we didn't even know he was dead. Okay, We didn't know he was dead, but that's why we have a flashback. John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, Jesus. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised? For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, that is, when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. That's pretty ugly and gruesome and a little bit filthy, right? Um, Here's what we've been looking at so far in Mark's gospel, and here's what we want to try to see this story in the context of. There's three big themes that we've been studying. A king, his kingdom, and the continual call to follow that king into his kingdom. The call of discipleship. 
Our big idea last week, which definitely applies this week, is, or sorry, in our last time we were in Mark, is that Jesus should be offensive to you. But do not let that offense turn into unbelief. And this week, this is what we want to say. Every preacher dies, even you. One preacher's death saves. It's not yours and it's not mine, and it's not John the Baptist. What do I mean every preacher dies, even you? Well, over the past couple of weeks, we've read these passages, so I'll just reference them quickly. But in Colossians 1.28, we read this. Him we proclaim, proclaim, that is to shout out as a messenger to preach. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul continues on in Colossians chapter 3 to say how it is that you and I and preachers standing up front and people leading in worship and people um, helping with the children and people reading passages of Scripture on a Sunday morning, how in each other's homes we do that. He says in Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which Indeed, you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're all preachers. We're all proclaimers of God's word. We're all messengers sent to one another to share that good news and sent out into the world to share that good news. Well, John was a messenger like this. And just like the prophets of old, how John dressed, right? He dies. Most of them also died gruesome deaths. Deaths that they didn't want to die. But that was their lot. In order to commemorate the death of John the Baptist, we have to first remember some things about him that we've already learned. And as the children's video re-taught us this morning, Pastor Mark from Mountain View Somerset West introduced us to some of the miraculous circumstances of John's birth several weeks ago. And in our first week in the series, we saw that John was strange, that he ate locusts with honey, that he dressed in strange clothing, as we read about in 1 Kings, how the prophets of old dressed. We also saw that John was out in the wilderness. Why was he out in the wilderness? Because the wilderness was a place of judgment, right? And he's calling people to repentance. He's saying, through judgment comes salvation, except for the judgment isn't going to fall upon you. Repent and believe. The Lord is at hand. 
And in fact, we learned in that first week too that John was by any stretch of the imagination a successful preacher, right? He had all of Judea, that's a lot of people, coming out and and listening to him, being baptized by him. And yet, unlike what you and I think of as a successful preacher, um, we're going to see John today alone, in prison, then with his head on a platter. We're going to see that he even ushered a lot of his disciples away from himself and to Christ. We see that um, John ended his ministry uh, really not with a splash or a grand finale, but with a whimper. So often, we gauge what success is um, by just what we want success to be, right? So, I'm going to be stepping on toes, and even my toes right now. But so often, and I have preacher friends who need to keep up a certain amount of appearances in order for their congregants to believe that they have somehow attained the good life in some measure of success, right? This is the church of the new car, or this is the church of the three-piece suit. (laughs) This is whatever it may be. Um, And John was the opposite of that. He was wearing camel camel hair clothes, He was meeting in the desert. He did not have a fancy building with air conditioning. He was not driving around the nicest new car. He was not in a three-piece suit. He was the opposite of success in so many ways. And realistically, even his message was non-successful, right? His message was, you've done something wrong and you're going to be judged for it. Repent. And despite the fact that his ministry, the shape of it changed, we see that his message never changed. So whatever happened to John, anyway? Well, back in, John, or in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, I believe, we see that John was arrested. That's all we hear about it, that John was arrested. In John's gospel, we see that John actually, John the Baptist, that is, actually invited his disciples to go and follow Jesus. He said, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And his disciples picked up and started following Jesus. Not all of them. But we see that he was arrested. And we see in this passage this morning that at some point in his ministry, he had started speaking out against Herod. He had started speaking out against Herod, who declared himself the king of the Jews, right? Uh, He wasn't really a king. He was actually quite a lot less than a king. But he did love Jewish culture. He loved Jewish architecture, and he loved um, uh, hearing the Jewish law, and he loved everything about Jewish culture, though he wasn't obedient to any of it, right? Um. He spoke out against the king because the king, Herod, this guy, King the uh, Herod the Tetrarch, one of the rulers of four places, 
he was stealing his brother's wife. Stealing his brother's wife. This went against God's law. Now, interestingly enough, John the Baptist didn't actually view Herod as the king of the Jews, and yet he held him to a standard. He held him to a standard of moral purity that Herod wasn't living up to. We also see in this passage that Herod feared killing John because he was righteous and holy, so he kept him safe. And it seems as though he often went and visited him in prison and let John preach to him. John was actively preaching that same good news of repent because God is at hand. Repent because the Messiah is coming. Even though it says that Herod was greatly perplexed, but he kept on listening. The most influential man that John knew in this world right now, he was in prison, had a deaf heart. And this most influential man had John's head removed from his body. What does this tell us about John the Baptist? Well, the first thing that it tells us is that success for John was faithfulness. All right, success was faithfulness. Success wasn't going out with the largest amount of disciples, but freely giving those disciples over to the Christ, over to Jesus. Success was continuing to preach the message that he had been given to preach from the womb. And that's just what John kept on doing. In what ways is Herod disobedient? Who is this Herod guy again? Okay, so Herod called himself the king of the Jews, though really what he was was one of four men that ruled four parts of his father's kingdom. We remember Herod from the Christmas story, right? Uh, His dad. uh, We'll call him uh, Big Herod, okay? (laughs) Uh, Now, Big Herod had all the babies killed, right? We remember this. This is why Jesus and Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, because Herod was a brutal man who brutally took over land and called something his own. And his sons were no different. Uh, We also see here that Herod, this Herod, was highly insecure of who he was, okay? Uh, And this isn't the only time that we see evidence of this, Um, Herod steals his brother's wife, steals his brother's daughter, calls them his own. Uh, He lets his niece dance seductively for him and is pleased by it. And he's honored by the fact that a princess would dance for all of his friends. He is willing to not fight on John's behalf and keep his head attached to his body, but instead is embarrassed to go against something that he said. Why? Because his word is worth so little that any time he gets the opportunity to show that his word can be worth something, he does it, right? He's wildly insecure of who he is. He's a bad leader, right? He's 
a bad man. <laughs> He's spineless, and he lacks any real, true authority. Now, those are hard words, and I'm not just trying to beat up on Herod, and yet that's exactly what we see in this text, is someone that lacks any real authority. I find it really interesting in the text that um, he says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And Herodias, his new wife, says to her daughter, we've already got half the kingdom. We want something else, right? She knows what they have. Another thing that we see about Herod here is that he is greatly perplexed by what John is saying to him. Now, hear me out. Herod loves Jewish culture. And yet, when John comes to him and says, you've stolen your brother's wife, right? You're in an inappropriate sexual relationship with someone else's wife. Herod's like, huh, interesting. <laughs> right? He's perplexed by it. And yet, he is pleased to still be listening to him. Unfortunately, this is also what we see oftentimes in what you and I would by nature consider a successful ministry, right? John the Baptist is the successful minister that goes out and he's preaching repentance and Herod's like, wow, what a great sermon. What a great message. I'm going to go back and be with my wife that isn't my wife, but my brother's wife and I'm going to... Uh, get drunk with all of my friends, and I'm going to let my niece slash daughter dance for all of them. Right? He doesn't seem to understand what it is that John is actually saying, what it is that John is actually preaching, though he's very impressed by it. So he mourns, uh, the, and then, sorry, we see then that he's saddened, right? Um. In verse 26, Herod was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word. Right? So he mourns the fact that he's got to do it, but you know it's got to be done at this point. I've already given my word, even though I've broken my word to my brother, and so on and so forth. I've got to keep my word on this thing. So he mourns, kind of, and yet he doesn't change. He listens to John but he doesn't hear John. His heart is deaf. And if we're not careful, each and every one of us can fall prey to this as well, right? Um, and it, you're probably thinking, as I would also automatically think, that I'm just talking about uh, flashy things. Right? And yet, uh, when, we, when we see... Um, John the Baptist and his disciples, we read in Acts that some of John the Baptist's disciples are still out there. They're still out there roaming around in chapter 3 and chapter 5 of the book of Acts. They never followed after Jesus. Uh, even though they heard John preach all of the time, even though they heard, repent, the Messiah is coming, they heard, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, they didn't turn away from John and his teachings and turn to Christ. Instead, they stuck with John's teachings. They 
held on out there in the wilderness. They held on to their shabby way of life and their shabby way of living. Um, Why? Because just as we maybe will see a preacher in a three-piece suit and we'll say, that's a successful man. John's disciples saw themselves dressed in camel's hair clothing out in the wilderness, not living the, the worldly lives that Jesus' disciples were living, and said to themselves, yeah, we've reached glory now. Too often, this is what, right? It's the horse analogy, the drunk falling off the horse in both sides of the ditch. We either think about this glorious, successful ministry, or we think about this humble, impoverished ministry, not thinking that really the ministry of Christ has very little to do with either of those things. So what happened to John? Who's this Herod guy? And here's the question that we want to get to. How does Jesus fit into this? Because this is an interesting little memory, right? It's an interesting little flashback in Mark's gospel. But what is really happening here? Well, you know, one of my favorite, uh, you know, I love the Isaiah, right? We went through seven weeks in Isaiah, and um, I love the book of Isaiah. I love Isaiah's story. I also love Jeremiah's story. Why? Because Jeremiah did not want to go out and preach, and yet he ended up doing it anyway. He was scared to preach, and yet he did it anyway. Um, He wanted to turn away from it several times, and yet he kept going. He got put into a pit for a while, and some people showed mercy on him and came and rescued him. God told him, don't go to Egypt or else you're going to die there. And he didn't have a choice. He got carried away by the Jewish king and taken to Egypt where he died. Right? The story of Jeremiah is like so many of the other prophets of old. He dies. He preaches. And then he dies. He's given a message from God And then he goes to his grave with that message, having shared it with many. John the Baptist, as Jesus described him, there is no man that has come from woman like John the Baptist. And yet, what is his fate? His head gets removed from his body. That's not to be down on John. But, as we've already seen several times in Mark's Gospel, from chapter 3 on, (laughs) bless you, the cross casts a dark shadow over everything that is happening from here on out. If the messenger that uh, is making straight the path, that is declaring that the Lord is coming, dies a gruesome death after being imprisoned, what do you think is going to happen to the final messenger? What do you think is going to happen to that Messiah, to that Savior? Already we've seen Jesus trying to change his disciples' minds. They're thinking, yes, the time is now. Let us go to battle. You are king, Jesus. And every time Jesus 
does something to subvert, to take away from their idea of what his kingship, what his kingdom is going to be like. And in a very similar way, John the Baptist is not given the, the, the left hand of the throne, but his head is removed from his body. So there are some similarities between John and Jesus, right? Um, he dies. He dies. And he dies specifically for what it is that he is preaching. Now, we know that's just from a worldly sense. Jesus dies for many greater reasons than just the message that he is preaching. Interestingly enough, we also see in Jesus' death a cowardly Herod who says, whoa, 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 above my pay grade, take it to Pilate. He's the guy that's actually in charge here. That's what this same Herod does to Jesus. Just like now, Herod's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not dealing with this. I've already given my word to people. He abdicates. He lays down his authority and hands it over to his little niece, okay? And in the case of Jesus, he hands it over to the governor of the region, Pilate, who doesn't want to have to deal with the problem? Also, we see here at the end of the text that when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Now, so many times in Scripture we have foreshadowings or looking forward of what is going to happen. Even though it doesn't take away from what is actually happening right then and there. And I think that this is also what's happening here in this text. What is, what's the routine when a prophet dies? Well, his disciples follow behind him and take care of his affairs, right? And that's exactly what's going to happen in Jesus' case. Joseph of Arimathea is going to come. He's going to put Jesus' body in a tomb, and his disciples are going to mourn for him just as John's disciples did. Um, And yet, there are some things that are obviously very different between John and Jesus. The first of which is that Jesus rises from the dead, John will one day as well, right? We believe in the resurrection of the body, right? And yet, we see that John isn't going to rise up right now. He's not going to take the form of some other preacher, prophet like Jesus. He's not going to come back and start preaching in some other way. He's dead. And yet, we also know that Jesus is not dead, that Jesus rises, that Jesus is seen after his death, his burial, and that Jesus ascends to be with the Father after that. Interestingly enough, too, uh, it could very easily be said that Herod took John's life, and that everyone that did nothing took John's life. Um... Maybe this is going to sound foreign or strange to you or wrong to you. Hear me out. So often, uh, well, Herod is stricken with guilt, is he not? Here's the man that was really a confidant for him, someone that corrected him, someone that guided him, and he listened to, though he didn't actually listen to him. Um, And he just lets him die. He orders his death. So oftentimes, it's at Easter, we hear that you killed Jesus, right? It's not untrue, but it's also not exactly true. Why do I say that? 
No one takes Jesus' life. This is what Jesus said. We don't kill Jesus with our sin. Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I give it freely for the sins of many. No one takes Jesus' life. He gives it up freely for you and for me so that our sins can be covered over, so that His righteousness becomes ours. He becomes our sin for us. Here's our big idea today. Every preacher dies, even you. And yet each and every one of us that know Christ as our Savior have a responsibility as we read about in Colossians and as we read about throughout the whole New Testament. We are sent out into the world to declare, to proclaim, to preach the good news about Jesus. One preacher, sorry I messed it up there, one preacher Our prophet, priest, and king, it's his death that saves. Every preacher dies, but there's only one preacher whose death actually does something for us. And that's Jesus. His death saves us. So, today anyway in Mark's gospel, we say goodbye to John the Baptist. And yet we also want to hold up what it is that John the Baptist did. We want to see him as a faithful witness to Christ. Despite the fact that even after John baptized Jesus, he still had to go back to Jesus and say, is it really true? Are you actually the Messiah? He kept proclaiming that good news. Even in moments of doubt and weaknesses of faith, his faith was kept for him by Jesus. And the same is true for each and every one of us. We don't take Jesus' life. He gives it up for us. He becomes our sin. We become his righteousness. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we love you. We thank you that we can come together today, that we can study your word. Lord, for each and every person in this room that knows your son Jesus as their Savior, I pray that you will strengthen their faith, that you will continue to grow them, that you will do that through the responsibility that you have laid on us to preach the same good news that we have heard, to repent and believe, to know that Jesus is our Savior, to know that he has died for us, that he has given his life for us so that we may live and that we may live forever with him. And Lord, that you would strengthen our faith by our brothers and sisters sitting around us who we have been called to preach to and to listen to Not like the relationship of John and Herod where he just sat there willfully perplexed. But that we will honestly listen to one another and let 
one another preach to us. So that we will hear that good news each and every time that we gather together. Lord, I ask that our lives and our proclaiming would not simply win the affections or the admiration uh, or the impression of others out in the world, but that our preaching would work your grace into the hearts of our hearers and of our neighbors, those that we live with, those that we pass by, those that we work with. Lord, save us from ourselves and our self-satisfaction in whatever work it is that we do. Convict and strengthen our confessions, uh, our saying what is true about you. Uh, Daily, Lord, be strengthening us so that we may rest in and rely upon Jesus alone for our salvation. Thank you for the grace that we have in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the love that you have and continue to show to us every day, Father. And for the fellowship that we have with you and with one another in the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.